Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, October the 31st, 2022. Uh, Halloween. The Day of the Dead, if that's the right way of describing it in American culture, a day where we celebrate terror of one kind or another. And often that terror is associated with graveyards, the place where we bury our dead. Uh, my guest today is a self-styled tombstone journalist, a man who's, who spent a lot of his time um, in cemeteries, and he has a new book out. Um, Over My Dead Body it came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it's already been uh, very well reviewed in uh, the New York Times. Uh, and uh, the author is uh, Greg uh, Melville. He's joining us not from a cemetery, but from Annapolis in uh, Maryland. Uh, Greg, welcome. What is it about cemeteries that you feel so at home in? You're clearly alive. <laughs> And uh, some people have called me obsessed with cemeteries or a cemetery lover. And I just want to say that it's it's a very healthy relationship I have with cemeteries. Uh, and uh, and I think that we are both very mutually respectful of each other. Uh, I guess uh, it really started when I uh, took a job before my senior year of college uh, during the summer, digging graves and mowing the lawns of a local cemetery in my hometown. And while I was there, the stories of the cemetery, the stories of the town really kind of came alive to me. And I realized that these are precious places that record so much about us, our culture, our economics, government, our politics, our history, who we are uh, as a country and who we are in these specific communities where each of the cemeteries lie. Yeah, it's ironic, Greg, I, I'm sure you don't need me to point this out, is that for you, Cemeteries are places which are, are very much alive, more alive in many ways than the world outside um, cemeteries. What is it, though, about cemeteries that make them so scary? Why are all the kids tonight in my neighborhood going to be walking around dressed as if um, they just emerged from the local cemetery? Right. Well, uh, the dead bodies don't help. They really don't. Um, and I get why that. Are we, why are we so scared about dead bodies? We know everyone dies eventually. We do, but it, there is the unknown, right? And the mystery behind it. And it really depends on the, the different... You mean era. the unknown unknown? That, the unknown to, to, unknown, to, to, yes. To borrow from the departed Donald Rumsfeld. Yes, yeah, as opposed to the known knowns. But uh, it wasn't always necessarily that way. It, it kind of waxes and wanes. If you take the 19th century, the Victorian era, where death was so much a part of people's daily lives uh, and the life expectancy was much less, uh, the notion of death was one of sleep. Uh, and it was kind of more, there was a, a greater connection to it. And at that time, there was a greater emotional connection to cemeteries. People went to cemeteries tourists more and just to have pics and to commune with nature as well as to commune with with loved ones um we uh we've done a number of shows on um 
on the United States, uh, which of course is a big country and a big subject. Your book attempts to tell the hidden history of America. Uh, what broadly is that history? What have you, and I, and I, I, I excuse all these stupid metaphors um, and jokes, uh, Greg, what have you dug up that we have missed in your well, book, uh, <laughs> in your book uh, Over My Dead Body? That's a great question. So cemeteries were the first city parks uh, in the United States, the, really the first green spaces that people would recreate in. They were the first natural conservation projects in the country. They were the first theme parks. Uh, the, the layout of Disneyland itself was modeled after a cemetery nearby where Walt Disney himself is now buried. They were the first public art museums, the first expressions, free expressions of religion in the United States. And uh, they've also played a role in history, whether in the Civil War with Arlington National Cemetery or Gettysburg. Um, they were the first, uh, the first cultural battlegrounds in the Cold War in Europe. So in a lot of ways, cemeteries have offered this kind of hidden, unfiltered lens into American culture, but also they sometimes played a, a direct role in American history itself. And of course, and, and you write about this in much detail in the book, they reflect all the paradoxes and the hypocrisy in American history, a country which prides itself on equality, which is, of course, defined by the black-white division and the great crime of slavery, and also by the fact that whatever we understand democracy to be, it has nothing to do with equality. Cemeteries are places of profound inequality, aren't they? Yes, and you can see it if, if you look at cemeteries as being these unfiltered lenses, right, like I said, then they very clearly show the inequalities that have existed for so long and even now continue to exist, whether it's in the segregation of cemeteries, which continues, the segregation of the dead, which continues to this day, or even um, the treatment of uh, traditionally Black cemeteries, which are often underfunded, uh, are the oftentimes the first ones to be developed over. Uh, and uh, there are no federal protections for historic black cemeteries. The state and federal government spend more money on Confederate memorials, significantly more money than the almost zero dollars that are spent on historic Sur black surprise, cemeteries. Surprise, surprise, Greg. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you've been to Buenos Aires. Um, wonderful city where there are quite literally sort of cities within cities, cemeteries, mm -hmm. which are on display. America's right. always had a more, where, where the Argentines, for one reason or other, seem to have a more open, uh, perhaps uncomplicated relationship with death and ancestors. What is it about America that makes their relationship with death and cemeteries so complicated? Uh, Jessica Mitford, of course, wrote a wonderful book about American... Right ambivalence about death in California in uh, in the 1950s. Right. And Jessica Mitford's book was so powerful. It's one of the rare books that have come out in American history that have literally changed laws and changed how changed the culture of the United States in a lot of respects. And what it did was it opened people's eyes to the the money that is involved in the death industry in the United States. And it's quite different than in most other places from the amount of 
preparation that is put into a body in the United States from uh, the embalming methods to the, the uh, vaults that are used that caskets are buried in to the burial industry itself, which is always upselling uh, customers on items that perhaps they don't need. Uh, and the expense is quite significant uh, to burials in the United States as a result of these industries that have arisen. Greg, it's always seemed to be that America has many histories, but two in particular, the history of New England, the Puritan history, and an entrepreneurial history that began in Jamestown. You, uh, your book is divided into 17 chapters. Um, you begin in Massachusetts. You also go to Jamestown. Were the original Puritans and the Jamestown founders, did they view cemeteries differently? Did they regard show after life, manifestation of achievement in a different way? I'm guessing that the Puritans were more ambivalent or critical of, of, of showy tombstones. Exactly. So it's also kind of this American idea that everyone gets a trophy, right? Everyone gets a tombstone yeah. and a burial space that is their eternal resting ground forever. But if you go back to Jamestown, the, the original settlers, it was burial grounds were uh, just really items of necessity. And the same went for the, for the early Puritans uh, in Plymouth. There was more death. Sorry to jump in. There was more no. death in a way in Jamestown. It was a more, I mean, the first, Settlers in Jamestown all, all all die. We don't even know where they are. So it, right. it, it was a, it was a not that it was easy in the north either, but it was a much dicier lifestyle in in Jamestown, wasn't it? Yes, to some degree, to a large degree, yes. Uh, the there is evidence in Jamestown from some of the bones that have been dug up from the original uh, settlers of of cannibalism, uh, where people it is believed there who were interred were hastily undug by starving people looking for sustenance uh, and they can tell by the cuts on the bones but the casualty rate uh, with the early puritans uh, was quite high as well in plymouth not quite to the extent but but it was in those first couple of winters it was pretty dicey well um you you have a you have one chapter um on on burial hill in plymouth another in bedford massachusetts Yes. Where was Winthrop buried? Did he celebrate? Was his death and his tombstone celebrated? The first great man of American history, the man who sort of founded um, founded the first uh, community in, in New England? Now, I believe he was buried in, uh, there are two uh, historic burial grounds in Boston, and I believe he was buried in, in one of those. Um, and you go back to this notion of, of tombstones and everything and, and, and whether or not uh, that was in the, with the early settlers, that was really something that was celebrated and it wasn't. So the um, often the early tombstones from the you know, 1600s were ones that were very Gothic looking that, that were supposed to basically instill fear of death, fear of damnation uh, in people. And there were many, many more graves in these early Boston burial grounds than there were uh, gravestones, uh, thousands and thousands of bodies for a scant scattering of, of gravestones. One of the other uh, great themes in American history is this 
conflict and unease between public and private space. You've touched on it before. Um, does this manifest itself in the history of American cemeteries where there was this urge for privatization, which would, of course, benefited the powerful and wealthy, uh, which in turn would result in the, if this is the right word, desecration of the principle of, of civic value and an idea of Americanness. That's really interesting. Uh, so most cemeteries are generally, well, they, they fall into two categories, but, but uh, where either they're somehow publicly administered or they're, they're privately nonprofits. And a large majority of them are not uh, administered by any kind of government entity. They are their own separate burial ground, whether it's attached to a house of worship or a standalone. And what you'll find is that although most cemeteries are, nearly all of them are nonprofit, it doesn't mean that they're charities. So they have this kind of tax-free protection, which purveyors of cemeteries have used for centuries, uh, for literally two centuries now to, to make a profit. Uh, and on the other hand, you don't find a sliding scale for people who can't afford to be buried in uh, a, a nice cemetery. Generally, you don't uh, you don't find kind of paupers' graves in a corner. That's generally left up to local municipalities uh, in in the potter field potters fields that that have arisen in the United States. Greg, we've done many shows on indigenous communities and the indigenous or the, tra the traditions of the indigenous peoples of North America. Um, how do you think those peoples viewed the Europeans when they showed up in terms of their celebration of death? And, and what was the difference? Were there burial grounds for the indigenous peoples of North America? And have you spent any time there? Or I assume a lot of them have been desecrated by, by the white man. Yeah, and I, I get into that a bit, uh, starting basically with the Puritans when they came over to what is now Massachusetts. They survived the first winter basically by robbing the graves of indigenous people who had been buried with stores of grain and corn to be taken to the afterlife. And that ongoing system of desecration has continued until this day. So the the burial traditions of indigenous people throughout the United States is as varied as the many countless communities that have sprung up across the U.S. But many of the so many of the uh, remarkable burial mounds and, and burial grounds have been lost, uh, and only now in the last thirty years has been, there been a movement to try and protect, preserve, and even repatriate the remains of. Uh, indigenous people who have been removed from their resting places. Greg, I wouldn't normally ask people this, but since you're a, a tombstone journalist, a self-styled to tombstone journalist, I can ask you, where would you like to be buried if you could be buried anywhere? So I don't think I'm going to choose burial. And I think that... Um, you mean you, you, you prefer cremation? I think so at this time, or perhaps another natural option. Um, but right now I'm, I'm leaning towards cremation because as much as I think that these places are ones to be treasured and preserved, uh, there's only a finite amount of space 
Oh, there's only a finite amount of land. Okay, well, let me, I, I take your point, but let me revise the question. If you had okay. to be buried in, in a cemetery, and I guess my question really is, you, you visited or certainly there are 17 chapters in the book, 17 okay. cemeteries. Where would you like, if you had to be buried in a cemetery, where would you like to end up? Okay, um, that's a really great question. Uh, I'd say it was it would probably be the the original cemetery that kind of led to my awakening, which is back in my hometown, where where I actually have family members who are interred. And where is that? That's Bedford, Massachusetts. You're also um, uh, a former serviceman. You've been involved in wars overseas. What about military cemeteries? You 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 one of your chapters is on Arlington National Cemetery. I think. My sense, at least, is Americans do military cemeteries pretty well. They may not do military wars very well. They may not do overseas adventures well. But they certainly, again, I keep this word carefully, celebrate the death of soldiers quite well, or at least uh, some of the celebrations of death. Probably it extends to the death of African-American soldiers in the Second World War. They don't have such fancy cemeteries. We just did a show on that. Yeah, yeah. And for the most part, except for Arlington, a lot of national cemeteries were not desegregated until the, the middle of the 20th century. So there's actually a cemetery here, a national cemetery here in Annapolis, Maryland, where right next door is a historic African-American cemetery where there are almost as many veterans buried as in the national cemetery, which um, was not desegregated until the 1960s. And the stark difference between the upkeep uh, because the federal government doesn't pay for the veterans' graves, even though there are these white marble graves over there, is striking. But to answer your question about Arlington, Arlington is is absolutely it's a gorgeous place. It's a it's a um, it is truly uh, basically national cemeteries are political by nature, uh, and part of the what the intent behind them is is obviously to glorify the heroes who sacrificed for the country, but then it's also to kind of project this image that it is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. And do they, you, you suggested that, that it's done successfully, that, I mean, who, who has planned these? Are there, are there cemetery planners who, who stick out for you, who have, who, who we should, in a, in a sense, celebrate? Is there a, um, a, a Central Park, if you like, or an Olmsted, a Frederick Olmsted right. cemeteries. And and Frederick Law Olmsted, I think, in some ways stands out, uh, even though he only designed one cemetery, uh, which was in Oakland, California, and it was in the, the later part of the 19th century. But I think that Frederick Law Olmsted is really very deeply intertwined with cemeteries. He actually advised on Arlington, believe it or not. Uh, and his architecture is greatly influenced by the rural cemeteries that arose right before he helped design Central Park. And so Central Park, uh, in a lot of ways, is kind of this uh, designed as a cemetery without bodies. Uh, and I think that Frederick's mm, designs then influenced the design of cemeteries after that. So I would actually say Olmsted is the person. And that comes back to the issue of public space. I mean, the best cemeteries are public. I mean, and and, and reflect the values, uh, the glory of public space. Uh, yes, I, I think that I think that there there's a lot to what you're saying. Yeah. 
We've done some shows, Greg, on, on the metaverse. Could you imagine cemeteries in the metaverse, in virtual reality, or is that an absurdity, a contradiction in terms? I think that it's inevitable, right? Um, and what is, uh, I guess, appealing to people about whether it's the metaverse or, or just even social media is that it kind of changes the game for cemeteries. If cemeteries were once these places that kept the data of your life, right, through a, through a tombstone, uh, there's infinitely more data that's out there now. And I think that that has helped influence how people uh, view the, their, their, how they want to be preserved after death, you know, whether or not they want to be buried or whether they want to be cremated because of the memorials that basically their social media accounts are now. Yeah, and social media accounts are a, a summary of ourselves. Dylan wrote the great song, Tombstone Blues. Are there particular tombstone narratives that you bring out in your book or that you remember that somehow summarize the glory of a cemetery? I mean, what we write about ourselves as a summary of our lives, of course, is an right. attempt to reflect whatever we do on this earth. Yeah. Well, I, 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 my favorite cemetery when it comes to epitaphs is one out in Tombstone, Arizona, uh, Boot Hill, it's called. And there were a bunch of boot hills in the old west towns. And they got that nickname because people would die with their boots on in shootouts, supposedly. And so they were buried hastily in these graveyards. Uh, and the, the people in these western towns were very intimate with death and oftentimes would have kind of a gallows humor with the epitaphs. And there was one, there was a Western Union clerk who died in, in Tombstone in the late 1800s. And his name was Lester Moore, and he was shot by a robber who came to the Western Union Telegraph Station. And the epitaph says, um, I think, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, mm. no less, no more. Very Western, uh, you're, you know, you, 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 you come out to Arizona, you also do uh, a cemetery in Glenwood, one in Oakland, just, just over the bay from me, one in Los Angeles. My favorite uh, American cemetery is a fictional one, or, or not completely fictional, the one that's featured in Hitchcock's Vertigo movie, which is a much scarier movie, in my view, than Psycho. Um, is there something different about Western cemeteries, in particular Californian cemeteries, to the cemeteries of, of the East? Can one generalize about the cemeteries that you feature in Glenwood and Oakland and Los Angeles? Sure. Well... I really think that cemeteries are unique to their town, uh, whether no matter where your location is. So obviously it's going to be a bit different uh, in the West. I, I focus specifically on three important cemeteries that kind of change the face of how we look at death. And one is Forest Lawn, uh, like you said, in uh, California, in Los Angeles. And it basically was it pushed forward the business of death. It was created as a memorial park instead of a, a cemetery. It was called a memorial park. And, mm. and all the graves were put uh, flat on the ground. So when you went there, you wouldn't be reminded of death. Uh, the uh, person- Very Los it, Angeles, very California. Yes. And uh, Hubert Eaton, the person who, who founded it, he really innovated the idea of pre-sale of plots and going door to door selling plots to people to sell them on eternal security. And he made 
newspaper ads and put up billboards. And Ronald Reagan was married there to his first wife, Jane Wyman. And they have these kind of Disneyland chapels and sections that are laid out. It was really the first theme park. Uh, for three decades, it was the most popular tourist attraction in California because of the art and the sculptures and the, the so ground. This is the first Lawn Memorial Park in yeah. Glenwood. Again, even the, the, the naming it of the Memorial Park as opposed to a cemetery is, right. is, uh, is astonishing. Yeah. And so then you have uh, Oakland, uh, the Chapel of the Chimes, which I, I focus on as well, which was just this magnificent piece of architecture that's inspired by basically Spanish chapels of the Middle Ages. And the intent behind it, all of the cremation urns uh, are shaped like books or nearly all of them. So that when you go inside, it has a very holy feel like you're in uh, like a, a monk's uh, priory or something like that, a monk's library. And really the intent at the turn of the 20th century was to create a place that kind of stole cremation from atheism and made it a holy thing. Uh, and it was very successful in doing that. We live, we live of course, uh, Greg, and don't need to tell you this, in the age of global warming, in the age of environmental crisis. Uh, my guess is that most cemeteries are profoundly hostile to the environment in, in the sense that they require enormous amounts of water, and the celebration of death is, is sort of rooted in their greenness. You went to one cemetery in Philadelphia called Nature's Sanctuary. Are there attempts to, uh, to, 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 to place or replace cemeteries back into nature and make sense of our more complicated relationship with the environment? Absolutely. Uh, there, it's, it's almost coming full circle for burials in the United States. And it's not a large segment yet, but you're right when you think of the embalming fluids that go into uh, burials and the, the materials that go into the vaults and the caskets and the maintenance that takes place in cemeteries and the backhoes or tractors or whatever you use to dig up the, the, the grave site, it's all highly impactful uh, from a carbon footprint standpoint, but then also in what it does to the, the soil and perhaps the water table. So people are looking for ways that are much greener um, and don't involve chemicals. Can that be done? I mean, should we just, we really care about the environment. Should we, uh, should we just dump our bodies in the nearest stream? I guess that's not particularly friendly to the environment either. No, no, probably not. But I think that places like Nature Sanctuary, where uh, the burial grounds are not even really marked where the spot where you're buried, but you can use a GPS to get to the right location. But eventually, it's they're allowing it to grow wild and turn back into a forest and um, very low impact in, how, in their burial practices. So it's about as natural as you can get. Not a lot of flyover cemeteries, so to speak, in your book. Lots of cemeteries on the East Coast, in Virginia, Massachusetts, New York, Virginia, Georgia in the South, a few in the West. We've talked about them. Did you purposely uh, avoid the Midwest? What, what are cemeteries like in the Midwest, in Kansas, which is supposed to be the most American of all places? 
So uh, there, there are some, some amazing cemeteries. There's one in Cincinnati that was extremely influential. Um, you have Riverside Cemetery. I mean, uh, you have um, cemetery in uh, Chicago called uh, Graceland Cemetery, which is this classic cemetery where there are these amazing uh, architectural structures that were created by some of the most influential architects in American history who are also buried there. The Getty tomb is one that's, but really I couldn't find cemeteries there that shaped American history in a way that I could tell a full story about them. Uh, and really the cemeteries that I include are ones that either closely mirrored American history or, or shaped them in some really direct way. And, and then there are also the cemeteries in New Orleans, uh, which are so amazing. The cities of the dead, kind of like you were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. I was just in New Orleans and, um, and we went to one of those cemeteries. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Greg, you're also the author of a, a book called uh, Greasy Rider. Um, uh, two dudes, one fry oil powered car, uh, fry oil powered car, and a cross country search for a greener future. You're clearly a man who wants to understand America, seeing it from different kind of perspectives. What? Did the writing of this book teach you about America that you didn't know at the beginning? I'm guessing that the racism stuff and the segregation wasn't exactly news. I mean, it's shocking, but unsurprising. What surprised you in, these, in, the, in this tour, this grand tour of American cemeteries that you didn't know about America and that reflected the country, its history in a different light? Well, I, I do think of myself as a, a travel journalist, an environmental journalist, which is why I'm so fascinated by cemeteries. And it's really a story of land use as much as anything else. Uh, and I guess, I guess, you know, every place that I researched, I was just shocked at how many uninvestigated stories are told in cemeteries. And that really surprised me that just how untouched by historians cemeteries are and also untouched even by um, by environmental researchers. So uh, I read a, a study recently that said that because of the cultural taboo of researching cemeteries, that there really isn't much of a body of work on the environmental impact on the water tables of chemicals in cemeteries. And that really surprised me. There are 10 times as many cemeteries as there are McDonald's in the United States. Yet for some reason, people, the historians, researchers whistle past the graveyards. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, your, uh, the, your book was very well reviewed in the New York Times. It's titled Where the Bodies Are Buried, uh, a new book telling the history of America through its cemeteries. And the review begins in 2020 with COVID. Do you think that um, COVID changed anything about the death business or the culture of death and cemeteries in America? I do. Uh, and I, I, I don't really mention COVID that much in the book because I think that we, we get enough of that. But obviously, it's a specter that kind of hovers over the book just as it hovers over all of America, the world today, right? I think that uh, we were talking earlier about the familiarity that people during Victorian times had with death and this relationship they had with it and how that affected how they saw cemeteries. And you see today quite an uptick in people who are visiting cemeteries. 
I don't know if there's like a single statistic that kept that's kept on it. But when I've talked to various the purveyors of various cemeteries, they all say this, that a lot of people during the lockdowns were looking for a place to walk and recreate and be outside where there weren't crowds. And oftentimes they flock to cemeteries. But I think that also this more intimate relationship that we all have had with death over the last few years has also changed our perspective on going into these places. Greg, one of the great conundrums in America, and don't need me to tell you this, are the political divisions uh, between perhaps the coast and the flyover territory, between the rich and poor, between whites and blacks, between perhaps men and women. Uh, are cemeteries a place that people of different opinions, cultures, colors could begin talking to one another again? We've had a number of shows about how we can start talking again, how people of different opinions, backgrounds, uh, economic classes can learn to talk to one another. Do you think one place to do this would be a cemetery with their deeply historical resonance and their remembrance of death? The fact that we all go there eventually. Right. And I think I think that it certainly has a potential for that. Uh Ralph Waldo Emerson, when he was talking about creating his cemetery in Concord, Massachusetts, as a conservation, a place of conservation, really the first conservation project in the United States, he talked about the irresistible democracy of death, and mm. how, and, and that 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 phrase really kind of stands out to me: the irresistible democracy of death, the equality of it, uh, and I think that obviously uh, it can be a place where there is communication in that way. And yet, as you underlined, that ir um, irrepressible democracy of death um, is never manifested in, in, in cemeteries. The reverse is true. I, I would say that the, ver the reverse is true often, but not never. Uh, and cemeteries have served as beacons for religious express free religious expression and uh they have they there are examples of um cemeteries as as being places that are welcoming to all uh and that uh really have started conversations in that way cemeteries today in many communities are really striving to become a part of the community because they see that as a way of survival so, so what would be the equivalent, if you like, of a Statue of Liberty of cemeteries, which is the most welcoming, a cemetery that you cover in your book that de deals indeed, that manifests that irrepressible democracy of death? The most, I guess, another way of putting it, is the most ideally American cemetery, or at least a cemetery reflects America at its best, its promise, the Statue of Liberty of cemeteries. The statue, well, if you're talking about a melting pot, uh, if you will, uh, of of graves, I think there are a number. I think uh, Greenwood Cemetery in uh, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, embodies that. And then also one cemetery that I really love is uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery uh, in Los Angeles, which which has its own history of segregation at one time, but now has quite literally turn the corner and uh, is this amazing community gathering place.
No, it's great stuff. And it's a wonderful book, Over My Dead Body. It's just out, got some great reviews, particularly in the New York Times, uh, Unearthing the Hidden History of America's Cemeteries by Greg Melville, a, a self-styled tombstone journalist, uh, a man who I, I think you are normalizing cemeteries, uh, Paul, I hope, uh, not Paul, uh, Greg, I hope that um, some of the kids coming to your house today in, in Annapolis, uh, uh, I hope you scare them. Are you, what are you going to do tonight? Uh, probably just very quietly hand out candy. Um, do you no, have no, kids? I have two, but they're older. One's in college and one is... Did you uh, used to drag them to these cemeteries? I bet they had nightmares about it. <laughs> drag is, a, is an extreme word. I, I bribed and coaxed and welcomed them quite often, yes. There's so many great movie references, and I just can't remember all the names of the movies, but there was one movie, maybe you remember it, where a man and a woman, young man and a woman had sex in a cemetery, but maybe that's a subject for another book. Greg, Sex in American Cemeteries, uh, on top of Over My Dead Body. There's some jokes about Over My Dead Body when it comes to sex. Congratulations on the new book, Greg. Happy Halloween, if that's the right way of putting it. What other books would you suggest we read in these scary times? Well, there's one that's really interesting that I've just picked up, and it's called All the Living and the Dead by Haley Campbell. It's about, it, it, she's a, she, a former National Geographic journalist, and, or she's written for a bunch of different publications, I believe. And she, she interviews all of these people who have made a living out of death, and she really does a good job of demystifying death in the business of death uh, in a really fascinating way. But so I'm updated Jessica Mitford in a way. Yes, but I think that Jessica Mitford was really an investigative journalist and what she did was so important to kind of peel back the kind of the seedy underlayer of that. And I think that this book is more about the people who see it as a calling and how they, how they do their jobs.